This is Calvin Hammond in studio for Salt and Light on Radio Tigerberg. Tonight we are discussing Reformation today with my father, Dr. Peter Hammond. Dad, what is Reformation? Reformation is getting back to the Bible. Reformation is getting serious about God's Word. So Reformation is recognizing what's wrong in the world, in our churches, in our communities, in ourselves, and changing it. And generally speaking, when people speak about the Reformation, most people think about the great movement started by Martin Luther in Germany back in the 1500s, 500 years ago. But Reformation isn't only what's happened historically. In the greatest century of Reformation, 16th century, it's, it's whenever we seek to get serious about getting back to the Bible. And it's what's currently happening. It should be. Yeah. And why is this relevant today? We often look at Reformation, we think that was something that happened back in the Dark Ages, but why is it relevant now? Well, uh, it's not like everything in our churches today is exactly biblical, is it? And uh, we need to continually re-examine ourselves and say, is this in the Bible? Because we can applaud the reformers like Martin Luther and William Tyndale and Ulrich Zwingli for challenging the superstitions and the customs of the day in the light of Scripture, because when the Bible do you read, you've got to pray for the dead or venerate angels or saints or use images or worship Mary or cross yourself or believe in the existence of purgatory. Where's purgatory taught in the Bible? Where is there any requirement about for ministers to be celibate priests? In fact, the Bible requires ministers to be married and have children. Uh, where do you read about praying through the rosary? And why does Mary get 10 prayers for everyone for our father? So the Bible doesn't talk about popes or cardinals or monks or nuns or inquisitions or transubstantiation or the infallibility of the pope. And so the reformers, by championing <coughs> scripture alone as the ultimate authority, freed the church from a lot of unbiblical heresies and superstitious beliefs, burdens and practices, but we would be deceived if we assumed that the church today is not similarly in need of biblical reformation and spiritual revival. Because just think, where in the Bible do you read about uh, youth leaders or teen church or youth church as opposed to, uh, does the church have age limits? It's just the church. When people say, the youth of today are the church of tomorrow, are they not part of the church of today? Uh, So there's some very weird things we've got that we bring in the church. And and when you see the church worldwide having mostly willingly submitted to lockdown, not gathering for Sunday worship, not caring for midweek services, not visiting the elderly uh, in the old age homes or the sick in hospital or the prisoners in prison, seven months, no prisoners or hospital patients allowed to be visited in South Africa by lockdown regulations. But the Bible says we must visit the prisoners and we must visit the people who are sick and care for the elderly. And Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday, no churches gathered, three billion people worldwide in lockdown. And where's the Martin Luther's, my conscience is captive, word of God. There's a lot that's going on in our churches today, which smacks of cowardice and compromise. And you get people getting more enthusiastic for some kind of BLM Baal, Lucifer, Moloch, no, burn, loot, murder, something like that, BLM. So they're willing to mouth their things and make their signs and kneel before them. But what are they doing for the biblical agenda? So you can see a lot of people are quick to follow the world's fashions and fads and whatever is the move in the vibe in the streets. But when did the last get back to the Bible and see what is God actually telling us to do? Mm. And then why is uh, the 31st of October uh, reserved for Reformation Day? 
Well, that's the date with destiny. That's 31 October 1517, just over 500 years ago, is when Martin Luther, the professor of the University in Wittenberg, he went and nailed 95 theses, 95 arguments against superstitious practices in the church, indulgences, selling salvation, and things like quite, this. quite literally hammered them. He to literally the door. nailed this to the church door, which is like a notice board in those days. And uh, uh, that's like posting something on the internet today, I suppose, or in the older times, standing in the town square and shouting it out. And so he set up for public debate 95 unbiblical practices in the church of his time. And that was not exhaustive. He just got started. And uh, this opened not just a can of worms and a Pandora's box, but this launched the most incredible dynamic movement for faith and freedom the world's ever seen. And out of the Reformation, launched by God's grace through Martin Luther's bold action, we've seen the greatest freedoms, productivity, and prosperity ever known in history as Western Europe in particular, especially Western Northern Europe, uh, turned back to the Bible and the liberty and the standards of justice and creativity that's been enjoyed in Western civilization as a result of the Protestant Reformation continues to bless all of us today. So there's a lot of things that we today take for granted that uh, would have been unthinkable before the Reformation. And why? It's because Martin Luther made this bold stand before the emperor, all the political and ecclesiastical might of Europe. My conscience is captive to the word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against one's conscience, unless I'm convinced by scripture or by clear reasoning that I'm in error. I cannot recant. My conscience has kept the word of God. Here I stand, I can do another, so help me God. Now, in that short, powerful speech, Martin Luther made and argued for freedom of conscience, for freedom of the press, for freedom of movement, for freedom of association, for freedom of belief, freedom of worship, and all the other freedoms that have grown out of this, like constitutionalism, that he made a stand against totalitarianism, where the Pope would tell the people in the church what to believe, and the emperor would tell the people in the state what to believe. And if you disagreed, you'd be shouted down with heretic in the church, which means you could get burned at the stake, or traitor or treason in the state, which meant you could get your head chopped off. And here you had, for the first time, somebody making a bold stand so publicly, so effectively, and in publications, that no, it's not what the Pope says, it's not what the Emperor says, it's what the Bible says. So what is written? Laws must be written and laws must be based upon God's word, God's revealed word. And so from this came the greatest freedoms, productivity ever known. The fact that we have lex rex, lex meaning Latin for law and rex meaning Latin for king. So it used to be rex lex, the king is the law. But the reformers flipped that and said, no, it's lex rex. The law is king. The king is under the law. And they even started to get to points where they would put the king on trial for treason, which was unthinkable before the Reformation. But the idea that you can impeach a president is completely back to the Reformation where all authority is limited authority. All authority is delegated authority. All authority is answerable to God. And so what the reformers did in their back to the Bible uh, reformation and revival has had such a lot of implications for all of us and it's why we have checks and balances in government i mean even something such as why does south africa have three capitals the executive capital union buildings is in pretoria the judicial capital is in bloemfontein our highest court and cape town's the legislative capital where we have the parliament why because the protestant 
reformers pointed out that in Isaiah 33, verse 22, God said, For the Lord is our king, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our judge, he will save us. And so taking that principle that God revealed his government in three forms, judicial, executive, legislative, they separated powers into executive, judicial, legislative. In South Africa, we've even got three separate capitals, 1,400 kilometers separated, and the the legislative body is separated to upper house, uh, which is appointed, traditional, and lower house, which is elected directly, which is why in Britain they've got the House of Lords and then the House of Commons, or in America they've got the Senate and they've got the House of Congress. And so uh, these principles of checks and balances, separation of powers, it came about because the reformers taught the depravity of man. You cannot trust man. You cannot concentrate power in man's hands. The Tower of Babel is not our model. Uh, Rome and Egypt and Nineveh, uh, nope, we, we don't follow that model because that's that's putting all your power and faith in man. No, we don't put our faith in man. We, we uh, diffuse power. We separate power. We uh, decentralize. And so the whole principle of how God had decentralization written into the government of, the, of Israel with the judge separate from the king, separate from the lawmakers, and the lawmakers separates into the traditional chiefs, leaders, so to speak, regional, down to the elected representatives. And all of this based upon law based upon God's revealed law. So it's not what the arbitrary leader says, but what is written, legal authority. So these brilliant principles of constitutionalism, separation of powers, checks and balances, all of this grew out of the Reformation. And so it's super important for society, for for economics, and certainly for the church and families to get back to biblical principles. And then who were, you already mentioned the first one, but who were some of the key people involved in the Reformation? Well, the the greatest reform was Professor Martin Luther of Wittenberg University. And then that followed shortly thereafter by Ulrich Zwingli, who was the great reformer of Zurich in Switzerland. And he was powerful, dynamic, and he founded the Carolinium. So he is also a professor, but a pastor first. And then William Tyndale, the great translator of the Bible. And William Tyndale, by the way, was banned from translating the Bible into English in England. He had to flee to Germany and he translated the Bible in Germany because it was not allowed to translate the Bible into English in England. And the first Bibles in English had to be printed in Germany and smuggled from the Netherlands into England. And the first 5,000 copies of the English New Testament were intercepted and burned. And William Tyndale had to start again. And William Tyndale, while he succeeded in getting the New Testament translated into English and smuggled to England, he was arrested, betrayed, burned at the stake for the crime of translating the Bible into English. So just to think there was a time when the Bible in English was illegal in England and the Bible had to be smuggled into England. The first generation of reformers were followed by the second generation. second generation would be people like William Farrell, the great French, Swiss-French debater who won Geneva and Neuchâtel to Christ and John Calvin, who was the great reformer of of, Calvin. of Geneva, uh, who sent out over 2,000 missionaries, uh, vast amounts of church planting in his lifetime, extraordinary what he achieved. And uh, when you look at the reformers, I've actually got a book, The Greatest Century of Reformation. I've got 16 biographies and the 16 greatest reformers, and we've just mentioned five. Mm. And then who were some of the, or rather, what were the guiding principles of the Reformation? You can summarize the guiding principles of the Reformation into five battle cries, and they were first given in Latin, and one of them is on our one-round coin. The principles were 
Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is the ultimate authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Solus Christus, Christ ahead, Christ alone is the head of the church, and Christ alone is the only mediator between God and man. Sola Gracia, salvation is by the grace of God alone. Sola Fide, salvation is received by faith alone, and this is the one that you get in the one rand coin in South Africa, Soli Dio Gloria, everything is to be done to the glory of God alone. And so these five solas guided the Reformation that we had to be Bible-based, we had to be Christ-centered, we had to recognize that salvation is not by works, it's by God's grace alone, based upon Christ's sacrifice on the cross, received by faith alone. And we are not to be doing things for our honor or glory, such as if you say, I'm saved by my works, I earn salvation, or I'm a good person. No, it's all to the glory of God. There's, there's nowhere to boast in Reformed theology, because in Reformed theology, we believe in the total depravity of man. We believe only God is good. The opposite of what the average American says today when he asks, how are you? And he says, I'm good. Well, Jesus said, no one is good, only God alone. So when you get to Reformed theology here, not only are you not good, but you're actually a hell-deserving sinner. And only by the grace of God alone can any of us be saved. And it's not by works, lest any man should boast. And there's no room for boasting because even the faith and the repentance that I have is a gift of God. It's a gift from God that I can even repent of my sins and put my faith in God. And so the, it's, it's a very humbling thing to hold to Reformed theology, really. There's none of this Arminian, well, I chose God. I found God. Well, God wasn't lost. Um, and actually, I wasn't even looking for him. He, he's the one who found me. And I didn't choose God. He chose me, really. And when you get back to the Reformation teachings, it does give all glory to God. There's no denomination that can save you. There's no congregation that can save you. There's no minister that can save you. There's no music group that can save you. Uh, it's, it, there's nothing you can do that can save you. It's only by the grace of God alone, the sacrifice of Christ alone. And all I have ever contributed to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And so that's why we say solidio glory. Everything must be done to the glory of God alone. And then what were some of the main issues that they had to deal with? Obviously, you had the original ones of not being allowed to translate the Bible into English, but surely, mm. the, surely there was a lot more. There was. Uh, for example, the Roman Catholic Church not only wouldn't let you translate the Bible into local language, the people weren't even allowed to have a Bible in Latin uh, unless they were clergy. So you had the Bible restricted from people. And as many said, they never even, even the priests like Martin Luther or Ulrich Zwingli never came across a Bible till late in their, their lives. And uh, uh, it wasn't part of their training. They were taught in church dogma, not in the Bible. But it, was, it went further than that. When it came to the communion, the people would be uh, only given the wafer. They wouldn't be given the wine because uh, what if you spilled some of the blood of Christ and they believe in transubstantiation. It's a literal blood, literal body of Christ, not just a symbol. And uh, so it, it wasn't just a Eucharist, a celebration service. It was an actual mass, a sacrifice. The priest was re-sacrificing Christ. Even though the Bible makes it clear Christ has died once for all and never to be repeated sacrifice. But they had a lot of strange things. To be a minister, you had to forswear marriage. You're not going to get married, not going to have children, you're going to be celibate for life. Uh, if you're serious about God and your woman, you've got to become a nun. Um, when you went to church, you didn't sing because there's a choir that sang to you in Latin. You didn't hear a message in your own language. Everything was done in Latin and most of the people didn't know Latin, but Latin was the educated elite's language. And so you'd go to church for no reason other than to hear and go forward and open your mouth and get away from putting it. 
And of course, you had to come to confess your sins to the priest. And uh, you didn't get to sit in pews. Pews on invention of the Reformation. You came to church and you stood. So you stood in church. There were no chairs or pews. And you would listen to a language you didn't understand. So if you like that you have hearing preaching in your own language, if you like that you have having the Bible in your own language, you can thank the Reformation. If you like that you have singing uh, hymns and choruses in your own language, we can thank the Reformation. Uh, if you like that idea that you can sit during church and not have to stand the whole time, again, that came from the Reformation. And those are just some of the issues. There were so many. The idea that you can serve God in every area of life because the Reformers said this idea that if you're serious about God, you've got to become a priest or a nun. They said nonsense. Every area of life is important. And you can honor and glorify God as a dairy maid, said Martin Luther. He said, you can milk cows the glory of God every um, different occupation, every vocation in life can be done to the honor and the glory of the Lord. Well, if it's a legitimate, we're not talking about thieves, drug dealers, murderers, and so on, but uh, uh, legitimate occupations were all to be done to the glory of God. And so the church became a church of the laity too. It wasn't just that the clergy was the epicenter. And the idea that marry, that ministers could marry, those were just some of the issues. But the implications that went further and from that was in the past, remember, if you were anywhere in the world, you had to be the religion of the leader of that country. So if you're in a Buddhist country, you had to be Buddhist. If you're in a Hindu country, you had to be Hindu. If you're a Catholic country, you had to be Catholic. The Protestants introduced the concept of freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, freedom of choice, uh, freedom of worship. And uh, the idea that you can choose to worship or not to worship is a uniquely Protestant concept that comes out of the Reformation. You had no choice before. Martin Luther couldn't just disagree with the Pope and go down the road and join another church. Every church was under the Pope. Every church was Roman Catholic in, in Europe. And if you were in Eastern Europe, you had to be Orthodox. And if you were um, out there in China, you had to be Confucius, uh, Confucian and so on. So the whole concept of the freedoms that we take for granted today, it all came, it was birthed through the Reformation, not to mention the fact of education, because before that, something like 5% of the people in Europe could read and write, and that would be in Latin. But the Reformers introduced universal education for all, and boys and girls, and they introduced universal literacy so that only under the Protestants did you come to 100% literacy. So the idea of having a literate society where everyone has education and everyone has access to the Bible, these are some of the great fruits of the Reformation. And then finally, what are some things that we can do to work for Reformation today and to help bring back that, that, that powerful aura that it used to have? Well, uh, certainly what we need to be doing is, first of all, having personal Reformation. So uh, if you have not scheduled time for God in your diary, uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So if something or someone's important to you, you need to schedule time in your diary. So just as you wouldn't miss an appointment with someone else, be sure to honor your appointment with God. So I think the very first step to Reformation is revive your devotional life. Make an appointment. If you're a first thing in the morning person or last thing at night or midday, whatever, make sure that you've got a time for personal devotions, quiet time often called, where you start to study the Word of God and uh, where you switch off your cell phone and uh, you don't allow any interruptions. Build the Bible into your daily routine. If something's a daily habit, um, then it's important and it's good. So we've got to make it a principle that perhaps 
one of the first principles I learned as a new Christian from Scripture Union was Bible before breakfast. And that's a good principle. Start your day with wisdom. Uh, read a chapter of Proverbs every day. There are 31 chapters of the Proverbs. Good place to start. You need wisdom. Uh, Psalms. Pray a psalm a day. There's 150 psalms. That'll keep you busy for five months. Um, a psalm before every lunchtime, say. And read the scripture before supper. Make reading scriptures part of your mealtimes. Don't, man doesn't just live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the word of God. And here's a big one. Work on reading through the whole Bible, perhaps even one year. Now, if you read just one chapter of the Bible a year, a day, one chapter a day, you'll get through the whole Bible in four years because there's 1,187 chapters in the Bible. But if you read four chapters of the Bible a day, you'll get through the whole Bible in one year. Now, I preached and taught and summarized my way through every book in the Bible. And it was a six-year project to produce the book Old Testament Survey, New Testament Survey, and the audios that went with it, summarizing every book, short, sharp, to the point. And uh, that was quite an exciting project because there are many books in the Bible that I might have read, but I hadn't studied or preached on or tried to teach. And so the Old Testament Survey, New Testament Survey, and then the audios on that are, are resources that can help people to work through the whole Bible in a year. And try and tithe your day, just like you might tithe your money. If you've got 24 hours a day, how about dedicating two and a half hours every day to spiritual exercise, like reading the Bible, Christian books, prayer, worship, outreach. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So I think it's so important to do a thorough job of repentance and restitution. This is what led Martin Luther in his quest for peace with God. He, was, he wasn't trying to start a reformation. He was just trying to get right with God. And it led him, as Martin Luther was working his way through the Psalms, he saw what real worship was. And he recognized, we don't have real worship like a read in the Psalms in the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. And then he worked his way through Galatians, and he realized, as he's lecturing on Galatians as a professor of, uh, in Wittenberg University, he said, now I've read about faith. We don't have faith like we read about in the book Galatians. And then as he studied and taught through Romans, he said then he was born again. He recognized in the book of Romans the way of salvation, the gospel. He said, we don't understand or preach the gospel like that in the Roman Catholic Church. And so uh, it was by studying the scriptures, Psalms, Galatians and Romans, that Martin Luther was converted, born again, and launched this powerful reformation. And so uh, there's nothing more important than us to get personally back to the Bible. And of course, then attend the Bible study of your church. There's so many people who might go to church on Sunday, but they don't go to the midweek Bible study. Well, I learned from the persecuted churches in Eastern Europe. They said, we do not count our members by how many attend our Sunday church service. We count our members by who attends the midweek Bible study and prayer fellowship. And I think many a pastor and church leader will agree and say, you know, the people who attend the Bible study and prayer meeting in the midweek are the heart and soul, the real core membership of the church. And so <coughs> if your church has a Bible study and prayer fellowship, join it. If it doesn't, start one. And you can start one in your home. In fact, our mission, Frontline Fellowship, grew out of a Bible study and prayer fellowship that started in the South African Army. I started it in my first week in the SADF, and we met every night throughout our two years, with the exceptions of those times we were actually in the field operation through the night and weren't able to, but normally at least there'd be somebody back in the base who would be continuing the Bible study, but we met every night for Bible study and prayer for two years. And out of that came our mission. Um, and so starting a Bible study or joining a Bible study and prayer fellowship could be one of the most spiritually significant steps you ever take. 
And then make Sunday special. Honor the Lord's Day and, and uh, get involved in Reformation activities. We've got a Reformation Society. We have a Reformation SA org website with great resources we've been meeting now for 15 years reformation society every week dealing with issues doctrines personalities events and current issues and many of these are now chapters in our books like victorious christians who changed the world greatest century of reformation greatest century of missions and books like reforming our families prayer and pray uh, power of prayer handbook and many other good resources, biblical principles for Africa. These things grew out of the, the Reformation events. Many of these are also videos, audios, or PowerPoints and articles on the web. So if you're interested in starting a Reformation site in your area, we've got an article on how to start a Reformation site in your area, recommended films, recommended books, and then we've got materials that you can show. If you're in Cape Town, well, you could join us. We meet um, every Thursday night. Uh, in Rondebosch and deal with Reformation issues. And of course, coming up now, we've got 31st of October, we have a Reformation Day celebration, which this year has been combined with a Home Educators Fair. So there's a Home Educators Fair, homeschoolers are putting out tables with their handcrafts and um, arts crafts, uh, homemade materials, foods, jams, fudges, and what have you, and different um, services available too. And you can also look at some of the curriculum options and services for home educators. So that's all going to be in Rondebosch at the mission headquarters of Frontline Fellowship. So if anyone's interested in the home education fair, uh, the people putting out the displays are home educators. You don't have to be a home educator to attend it, though. You are welcome to come and join. Just contact mission at frontline.org.za, mission at frontline.org.za, or phone 21 for details and that'll start at nine o'clock in the morning our reformation day home educators fair at 12 noon we'll have a reformation celebration service normally we've been holding it at the frontier um, huguenot monument and museum but this year because of the lockdown restrictions we made an alternative plan so now we're doing this at mission house um, in the gardens spread out and and with the new upper room and there will also be a variety concert in the afternoon at two, where home educators are welcome to give something on music, arts, drama, crafts, whatever, um, poems. And uh, that will be, especially with the emphasis this year of my conscience is kept, the word of God, freedom of conscience. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you took in all of that information. Thank you for listening to Salt and Light on Radio Tigerberg. Good night and God bless. <laughs>